Yeah, hey, thank you for being here. My name is Rod, one of the pastors here, and I'm super excited to uh, share with you a message about sacred Christmas. We get so much cultural Christmas, so we're going to pause for maybe 20 minutes, 25 minutes. I want to talk about Christmas. I want to talk to you about God came near on Christmas Day, and it was a messy day. I mean, like, uh, when life was messy, I want to talk to you about the true meaning of Christmas, the significance of Christmas, because after all, it's called Christmas, right? Not Amazon Miss or Santa Miss or Shopping Miss, but Christmas. So we're going to talk about Christmas here. I want to talk to you about a few things, a little table of contents, what I want to talk about. First thing I want to talk about is that God came near. God came near on Christmas Day. I want to talk about the implications of that, what that means, and unpack that. Then I want to talk about God came near on Christmas Day when life was like messy on steroids. Uh, and then lastly, I want to talk about, in light of that reality, that truth that God came near on Christmas Day was messy. Like, how do you respond to that? And like, what are you to do with that uh, uh, on Christmas? So I want to begin in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 23, and just jump right into it here. It says this, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which we sang about tonight, this morning. This means God with us. God came near on Christmas Day. Emmanuel, God with us. So what Christmas Day does is Christmas Day ushers in the incredible and stunning reality that God is with us. Us. The God of the universe is with us here. Matthew tells us that the child to be born, it's not just any child, but it is God with us here, that God will be with you, that God is 100% now human, but yet still at the same time, he's God. Jesus is human and divine at the same time. He's the God man. He's the, the incarnate God. So God himself has now entered our world in human form. And now God, we, we can touch God now. God, the, the infinite God has become finite in the person of Christ. Now, now God has skin on him. And when we look in the face of Jesus, we're actually looking at the face of Almighty God. So God came near on Christmas Day. Now, culturally, I think what happens is, is uh, we tend to imagine uh, Jesus, the nativity scene, uh, being a, a picture or a model of the birth of Christ there. Uh, we, have vision, we have ideas and images of what that looks like. And so uh, I'd like to point out a nativity scene uh, here. Uh, you can see this, kind of clean, neat, orderly, sanitized. Nothing like the real Christmas, but that, that could be what the, the vivid the images that we have in our mind here. And so it actually has no resemblance to what actually happened. The first Christmas was anything but what that demonstrates. It was anything but perfect. It was anything but orderly and neat and nice and clean and tidy. Uh, the sanitized version of the nativity scene there uh, has no relationship whatsoever to reality of what happened the first century Christmas because we're going to see that it was a complete mess, that it was an absolute and colossal mess 
from beginning to end. And we're going to unpack that in the Christmas story. What we're going to do is we're going to take a very honest and raw look at the birth narrative that Luke has faithfully captured for us in Luke chapter 2. So if you're able to stand to your feet, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Now I'm going to read. You can look along here. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read about six or seven verses. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. And all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. And he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. And he took with him Mary, his fiance, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for the baby, her baby, to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging or no room for them in the end. You may be seated. Thank you. Father, thank you for uh, this, this time that we're here. I pray that you would open up our, our, the eyes of our understanding and our hearts to men and women and boys and girls, to the greatest story ever told. May our time in your word um, uh, touch us, transform us, and radically impact our understanding of, of Christmas. I help pray that we could look at it through new lens and fresh eyes. So pray that you do this and you do more. Help us to make the greatest decision ever to trust in you. In Christ's name, and everyone agreed, saying, And so what we're going to do now is we're going to look at, contrast a little bit, American cultural Christmas with the reality of what happened. When we think of Christmas, we tend to think of, you know, Christmas lights and waving Santas and reindeer and holiday tunes and pine tree scents coming from candles and presents under the tree and all. But the sights and the sound and the smells of Christmas, again, have very little to do with the original Christmas and actually couldn't be further from Christmas in the first century. What we've done as a culture is we've, we've cleaned up and sanitized uh, the inherent messiness uh, of Christmas. The first Christmas was flat out messy. So the scripture really doesn't do anything to edit out the messiness, nor am I going to do that with you. But I'd like you to think about this. I'd like you to think about how the first Christmas, how do you think that it was messy? Has anybody ever thought about that, how, how it was messy? And what was messy about it? Well, I'm going to talk about that. The first Christmas was, was actually messier than you could imagine. So I'm going to help us get our mind around that. Firstly, the circumstances surrounding Christmas were flat out messy. So 2,000 years ago, I'm going to recount the story. Christmas, it was dark. Uh, it was a cold night. And Mary really is like a nobody. Mary is a peasant teenager, uh, uh, like a freshman or sophomore in, in high school there. And she's living in a little hick town in Nazareth. And so she's poor, she's unmarried, and she's uneducated. Just a peasant there. She's obviously pregnant. And she swears then... Uh, just imagine the drama. Okay, if you can get your mind around the drama that her and Joseph are engaged to be married, and she tells him, Joseph, I'm pregnant. And you can imagine the meltdown that Joseph had hearing those words. But Mary, I mean, I've been faithful to you. How could you do this? Joe, you, you don't understand. It's a God thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, Mary, whatever. 
And so now Joseph is contemplating divorce. How messy was that? He's not the biological father. He's the adoptive father. And how, how hard was that? And Joseph and Mary, they're living in a shame-based culture. And in that culture, they would have felt incredible shame. When they, this is how bad it was. When they traveled, the extended family didn't even want to allow them to stay in their home. Hence, they had no place to stay when they finally got to Bethlehem. They're rejected. They're judged. They're shamed. They're not accepted. Uh, the circumstances surrounding their lives was a complete and total mess. The circumstances were so bad that it took an angelic visitation. God had to send an angel to Joseph and say, hey, bro, like what Mary's telling you is true. You can believe it. This was actually a God thing. So Joseph says, okay, then I'll roll with that. So the Christmas story is about two despairing, discouraged, despondent, confused, worried teens on their way to a 90-mile trek to Bethlehem. So uh, they're, they're traversing through the, the terrain of Galilee. It was dangerous. It was expensive. It was messy. And so Luke tells us that when they finally arrive at their destination, like they're homeless. They're, they're, there's no, like Motel 6 is sold out, no vacancy, no lights on there. And then it just gets worse. Not only messy circumstance, but the time was messy. If you just Google the time surrounding, it was so messy here, a census has been declared. What that meant was the first century census required all people to go to their original hometown. So that's so Joe has, Joseph has to go, Mary has to join him there, and Caesar is, is telling everybody to do this. It's a bad day. It's really a bad day in the ancient world. This is like you got to go to the DMV, walk to the DMV, or take a donkey to the DMV, which would be like jumping on the 10 freeway and, uh, and arriving in Blythe on a donkey, being pregnant. How many women are going to sign up for that 90 miles, about four days? I mean, well, we, we saw the nativity scene, but the reality was, think about Mary, obviously pregnant, on a donkey, sweating, her hair stringy, sweat profusely pouring out of her pores everywhere, about four days, 90 miles uphill to Blythe. Everyone want to sign up for that, right? Kind of an oppressive time. Really an oppressive time here. So the first century citizens are thinking, my life is screwed. Can't get any worse than a census here. So it's a painful and difficult time. But it only gets worse. And so not only are circumstances messy, not only is the time messy, not only, but the travel is messy. A total and utter disaster, the travel. And so it's dangerous, expensive, it's brutal. It's flat out brutal. We can't imagine how brutal that, that it is here. It's like rush hour going to Blythe here. And so no Uber, no AC. Uh, the woman has to mount a donkey, nine months pregnant, and travel 20 miles, about 20 miles a day, Bible scholars say, uh, to get there. And so the stress, the pain, the discomfort, the utter exhaustion of that journey, what, what a messy experience. And it just gets worse. Because then the destination they get to, they arrive in Bethlehem. And that is just, that's wrong. What happens is wrong. And you looked at the, the nativity scene, 
that we embrace that and we think that's reality. It had nothing to do with reality because here's reality. It was damp. It was dirty. It was disgusting, filled with the stench of animals, of animal excrement. That's what it was like there. And there's no room for them. They're homeless. Imagine getting to your destination and there's no vacancy after that brutal trip that you just took. So uh, the homeless couple then gets sent to camp out in a barn, a manger here for their kid. And, and think about this. You ever thought about how's Joe feeling? How's Joseph feeling as the provider? You think he feels like, like an A-team provider? Or do you think he feels like a failure and a loser? So here they are. Imagine this. They're alone. They're homeless. Uh, they're all by themselves. No family. Forgotten. It's really a sad story. The place was a mess. And so it was messy for Mary uh, to be in a barn filled with animals. In fact, think about this. It was so lovely and glorious that there were more animals at the birth of the Lord of Lords and King of Kings than there were people. And so uh, there, the, this is labor and delivery in a barn with sheep, you know, walking around. It's not some sanitized petting zoo like the nativity scene. It's filled with the stench of animals. Imagine dirty sheep roaming around in labor and delivery. No hand, you know, we get so, uh, we take for granted all the hand sanitizing stations around. But there's animals everywhere. So Mary and Joseph, they are oppressed. They are overwhelmed. And finally, uh, they're going to wrap up their week, their fun week, with little Jesus is going to get, going to, uh, has a fun experience here where he's going to experience the joy of circumcision without any anesthesia. All this that you get, you let your minds wrap around that there. But what a, what a joy of, of Christmas now. What, what, a, what, a, what a great time. A surprise pregnancy, an unexpected, are we ever going to get there journey to Bethlehem. Messed up hotel, motel accommodations of which they were none labor and delivery in a stinking barn, and it just gets worse. Additionally, the people of Christmas, you ever thought about it? You, you think you've got it bad? Listen to this story right here with your family and what you're going to experience here. Uh, as if that's not enough, uh, we have the most, un here's the guest coming. Uh, this is put in perspective your Christmas guest list. Uh, we have the most unwanted, undesirable, unkept, uncouth, strangest people group coming to visit. They are nobodies from nowhere. It is an excluded crowd, marginalized, ostracized, social outcasts, really on steroids here, shepherds showing up to the birth of Jesus. Now, I get it's really easy to uh, have these sentimental uh, ideas in our minds about the Christmas cards and the shepherds, but it's nothing like that. So uh, their resume includes spending long hours watching sheep eat grass. And they're showing up. Shepherds are going to be crashing in the party here. And here's how bad it is. They're not even allowed to go to church. They're not allowed to go into the temple. Shepherds considered so unclean, so unfit to participate in any kind of religious celebration. But God sees all that, and he says, you know what? 
Culture despises the shepherds. They're going to go see the birth of my son. They get the full angelic treatment there until they get to see Christ. But what a messy situation. The Bible doesn't edit out any of the mess of Christmas story. There's not time for me to unpack all of the mess. So I'm just kind of hitting the highlights of the mess here. And so couldn't have God done something better than that? I mean, if you were God and it was your son going to be born, couldn't you have done better than that? I mean, think about it. Uh, couldn't you have done more than maybe created a, a, like a vacancy in, in Motel 6? Couldn't you have delayed maybe the census or canceled the census so Mary doesn't have to go 90 miles, four days to get to Bethlehem? Couldn't you have done better than uh, allowing the labor to take place in a stinking barn? Couldn't you have done better uh, to, the, to the are we ever going to get there trip? Couldn't you have sort of cleaned up the story a little bit? God and sovereignty doesn't do any of that. See, how is, how is a Christmas story, all of that to say this, how is a Christmas story for us like it was for Mary and Joseph? What, a, what, what, is, the, what, is, it, what is God trying to say to us? What, about, what might be some of the messy and stressful places that you're going to experience perhaps when you leave here, perhaps tomorrow What are some of the messy situations you're going to experience? Perhaps at family gatherings. Perhaps relationships that get just a little messy. Come on, somebody. Uh, How about about the expectations of Christmas? You feel the pressure of that? That gets messy. How about, as has happened in this community, of multiple people losing a loved one at Christmas time? How about the feelings that get messy? How about family dynamics that get messy? Uh, home, finances. How about careers in transition that get messy? And everything is just intensified by the season that we're, we're in. And now here's what's amazing, the big point in the whole Christmas story, is that the Christmas story, as messed up as it is, is where God shows up. This is where God enters the story where it cannot be any more messed up where a messy time, a messy place, and messy people, and you know what that means is that Christmas isn't a time where you have to be perfect, and you feel this pressure to get the perfect gift and all that, but God, God's not put off by the first century mess. He's not put off by your mess. God doesn't look at us and say, you know, uh, when you get yourself sorted out, uh, uh, then I'll come, and then, then we'll talk when you get it figured out here. No, God comes to us, in the, the utmost imperfections here, in a frequently messy stable, like your messy stable, like this was written for you. It's in your messy stable. He chose disciples that were far from promising. And here he is, he's, he seeks out shepherd types that uh, are the most ostracized and uh, disconnected, disrespected people group in all of culture. God allowed Jesus to be born right in the middle of a mess there because it it represents really his willingness to enter into our mess, our our circumstances, our life, our darkness, our situations here. And how interesting that on the opening pages of the New Testament begins with a masterful description of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. But there's only one thing that, that really screws the whole thing up. And that is it's utterly a mess. 
The genealogy of the Son of God is absolutely a mess. And Matthew doesn't tidy things up for the lineage of Jesus before pronouncing the announcement of his arrival. Rather, what he does is he pulls back the curtain and he opens every door and every eye to see all that is the great mess that would come uh, from the history of our great Messiah. And Jesus came from the most messed up family tree. It gives us hope even there. Even in his genealogy, he's beginning, he's beginning to identify with the broken, sinful humanity. So who's included in the list? The VIPs of adulterers, idolaters, prostitutes, and murderers in the genealogy of the Son of God. A pretty messed up group of people there. But what that does, that gives us hope for you and hope for me. And we see that God is, is identifying with, with the mess even in the genealogy of Christ. So Christmas shows us that God meets us wherever that we are at. And so God goes to great lengths there. He comes to us in our stables. He comes to us in the middle of your, your stable experience there. So when we fail, when we don't get it right, when we don't do it right, God is not a God that like stays away from us. Uh, I, I think at Christmas time, we, our minds need to be renewed in what God is like. See, because Christmas really then is where God steps into our story. So I mean the circumstances of our story, as we talked about here. Uh, really, everything was wrong. And so then it, the Bible continues in Luke chapter 2 as I begin to land this plane and wrap this thing up. And so uh, the angel of the Lord comes and says, hey, you don't have to be afraid. He said, I bring you good news and uh, that will be great joy. Watch to all people. I want us to, to, to get a grip on that. Look at that. All people. Because this is significant for us here uh, on Christmas Eve. This is very significant. Because uh, what makes it such good news? What are the whole Christmas and Jesus? and What makes it such good news? Let me ask the question. Is there any place in all the world that you have the same shot as everybody else? Any place in the world that everybody has the same shot as everybody else? For example, does everyone have the same shot at making money? Third world cultures all over the world, do they have the same shot as you as an American? Absolutely not. Uh, does everyone have the same shot all around the world at education? Absolutely not. Does everyone have the same shot, say, for example, in sports world? Like, can I be as good as LeBron James? Absolutely not. See, the, 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 there's not a level playing field. LeBron is like six foot eight and 260 or something like that. And uh, I'm a lot shorter and a lot lighter. And uh, so it's, it's not fair. It's not fair. And that's, that's the reality of the world that, that the playing field's not level. But here, when it comes to God, put the scripture back up there for me again. That the look, okay, the good news is that this is for all people. For everybody, no one's excluded, no one's exempt, no matter what you've done, no matter what you put in your body, no matter, what, what, who, no matter who you've been with, it's for all people. So where in life do you get the same shot? We do before God here. So the good news is for, for everyone, it says, a Savior has been born this day in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you'll find, watch, watch, a Savior 
Who is a baby? Like, wait, time out. When is a savior, like, come and wrapped in, a, in human form as a baby? Like, but see, God is like us, and God is human now, and God feels our pain, and God feels our disappointment, and our grief, and our loneliness, and our circumstances, and our situation. And he was betrayed, and he suffered injustice, and he died on a cross, and, uh, and he's from an oppressed ethnic group, and despite his flawless, sinless record, he's brutally killed on our behalf here, and that was done for all people, that we could be right with God. See, so here's the reality. So God is like us, Emmanuel, God with us. Why is he with us? Ultimately, to save us, to make us right with God. What a Savior who is the King, who is the Lord, but came as a baby. What I love about Christmas is that not only was it a messy time in a messy place with a messy people, but God is not put off by any of that. Emmanuel, God with us. John 3.16 is, is a great Christmas scripture. We never think about it that way. But it's really an amazing Christmas scripture. For God so loved the world, the broken world, the dark world, that he gave his one and only son. So you didn't deserve it. He just gave out of love. And all you have to do is for all people, all, whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. You can be right with God in this life and right with God for eternity. So the last thing... Uh, that I wanted to say is, how do you respond to all that? Like, what do you do in Christmas? Do you just like file that and say, you know, I'll see you next year. I'll, I'll, I'll see you next year. Or I just I want to encourage you that consider maybe you're among the all people. Maybe you're, you're among the whosoever. And so if we needed technology, God would have sent an educator. If we needed money, God would have said an economist. Uh, But ultimately, what we need is we needed forgiveness from our sins, so God sent a Savior in the form of a baby because there's a sin problem. There's no cure for the sin problem. See, sin makes a huge mess in all of our lives, and sin makes our lives way more messy. So in the midst of that, God came and said, Hey, I got a plan. I can resolve the mess that you're in here. So there's an invitation on the table, and the offer is forgiveness uh, that is on the table for all who would put their faith in Christ. And so before we sing, and as the band comes up, I want to close in a moment of prayer. What I want to do is give you the opportunity to respond. Right there in your seat, it could be your little space, your own little sacred space between you and God. So if you would bow your heads and close your eyes, I would like to take just a moment here, and I would like to say these words. Lord, thank you for coming to our planet. Thank you for coming into the, uh, the stable of our own lives, that it was a mess. Lord, and thank you for coming near. Thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us, even us here in Cala Mesa, California, December 24th, 2023, you came. You're Emmanuel today as you were then.
But Father, may we believe the gospel that you died for our sins and on the third day you rose again. And maybe you need to say this Christmas, I, I, I want to be part of the whosoever. I want to be a part of the, the all people. And you would say to Christ these words, thank you for coming for me. I dare you to do that. Some of you resisted all your life. Thank you for coming for me. I put my faith and my trust in you, and I say yes to Jesus. I say yes to making me right by virtue of your sin sacrifice for me. You don't just make the mess go away. He makes you brand new. He'll give you peace with God. And when you close your eyes for the very last time and breathe your very last breath, on your very last day, it actually won't be your last day. My last day will really be my first day because I will have life eternal. So if you prayed that prayer, would you just let that be sealed in your heart? And Jesus, as we are now going to have this experience of recognizing that you are the light of the world by lifting candles. You said, whoever follows you will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And on that note, we're going to conclude with a blessing. We want this evening to be more than the message as awesome as that is and more than the worship as awesome as that is. We want, to include, we want to conclude with a final blessing. So if you want to prepare your heart to receive this blessing. And may God, the Father, bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you in the middle of your situation. Be gracious to you and lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. May you experience him as God with us, Emmanuel who meets us when our lives are are messy in every situation. Father, I pray that you would do this and you would do more in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Merry Christmas. God bless you. See you next time. Bye-bye. God bless.